about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Reading 1 John 5, 1-12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Hi everyone at Newtown Oco. Um, it's great to be able to share with you uh, this passage from John today. And and I guess one of the, amongst the many downsides of COVID, uh, one of the upsides is that I can do this. Um, but also for us, uh, for Joe and I over here in Chile, it's been great uh, every Saturday night for us to be able to sit down and watch church uh, that you guys are having on Sunday morning uh, the next day. Um, it's been lovely to see our kids there and it's been lovely to hear the messages and be encouraged uh, by you all. So um, that's a great blessing that we've had. Human beings are drawn to the fantastic and the flamboyant and, and especially when it comes to victory. Um, our vision of victory, I think, is, is often shaped by extreme sports, professional sports, Hollywood movies, and so on. And maybe this is why we sometimes wonder if, if we really are living the victorious Christian life that we should. Because often our lives look a bit more like Little House on the Prairie than Avengers Endgame. And I suspect this is not a new thing. It, it seems that John is writing here in a context where, where people appear to be leaving the Christian community, maybe looking for something more tangibly victorious, uh, something more vibrant in, in the things and the teachings of the world. 
Perhaps they were looking for a Marvel version of Jesus, someone more flashy, more muscular, and, and a bit less ordinary. And when we read this letter, we see we see very quickly the care that John has for, for his his people, for, for, for his love for them. And so he's writing this letter to reassure them, to, to encourage them to, to stick with what they first heard from him uh, and, and what they first believed. It's, it's a simple and it's a rather ordinary message of trust, love and obedience. And I think John's trying to say your, your life as a believer doesn't have to be flashy. It just has to be based on the right things. Have you ever noticed um, how, how ordinary the end of John's Gospel is? It, it's almost anticlimactic. You know, in, in John chapter 20, after rising from the dead, Jesus gives his disciples the Holy Spirit and he commissions them to go and continue his life-giving ministry. But actually, most commentators will say that Jesus doesn't, doesn't really give the disciples the Holy Spirit in John 20 precisely because what follows is just a little bit too ordinary. And so we get to chapter 21, and the disciples are back fishing. Uh, Jesus does a sort of remote control sign through the disciples, and it ends in a with a swim to the beach and then a barbie uh, on the beach with, a, with some of the fish and a fireside chat where Jesus tells Peter that his new job will be to love and feed and care for Jesus' sheep. Now, without doubt, the Apostle John saw and did some amazing things. You can read about those in Acts. But, but when he sums up the victorious Christian life here in this passage, he says, keep it simple. Stick to the basics. Trust. Love. Obey. That's true victory. That's true life. That's what it means to live for Jesus trust love obey that's true victory that's true life and this victory this life is founded in jesus now what john says to this group are words of life to us too so it's good for us to have a look and see what he says what what, what does he say about it now the passage that we've got today 5 1 to 12 uh, basically, is, is at the end of the letter, and, and it acts as a kind of summary of uh, summary of the three major positive themes that John's been circling around in this letter. Now, there are two main parts to this passage: verses one to five and six to twelve. And in verses one to five, John gives us three subjective proofs that assure us of true victory in Jesus. And then, secondly, in verses six to twelve, he gives us three objective proofs that assure us of true life in Jesus. Subjective proofs that assure us of victory, objective proofs that assure us of life. So, let's get to the text. Firstly, verses 1 to 5, three subjective proofs we can trust. And the first of these proofs is trust. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So it says in verse 1. Now, I've said the first proof is trust. You, you might have noticed that, that I've used trust rather than believe. Well, 
I prefer the word trust because I think it better conveys the sense that there's actually a relationship involved as well as some kind of action or response that this trust produces. So I can believe something without it affecting me. You know? I, I believe that there's a Tesla somewhere out there making its way into the far reaches of space, but it makes no difference to me, actually. It's just information that I believe. Yet when I trust in something, I'm believing in its truth, in, in its reliability, um, in its strength, uh, its ability to do something. And especially when I trust in someone, it means I rely on that person for something. It's, it's a relationship founded on what I know about who they are and what they're able to do. So to believe that Jesus is the Christ is to trust that he is who he said he is, and he is able to do what he said he would do. That he is God's special anointed saving king who, by his life, death, and resurrection, is actually able to save me from my sins, from my rebellion against God. He's able, he can love me. He can give me eternal life even after I die. And that he can make me a part of God's family. So John's first proof is that anyone who trusts that Jesus is God's Savior King is born of God. And it's a proof because, because my subjective experience of belief, of trust, is a sign that points to the fact that I am already a child of God. It's, it's not a, my, my faith is not a prerequisite or a, or, a, or a condition for becoming a child of God. My present belief points to a past rebirth. Now, if you've been reading John carefully, you'll see that he divides the world into two groups, into, into, into two families. There are those who are of the world, who are spiritually dead, and those who are of God have been made spiritually alive. And John says that those who believe have been, in effect, born again. John would remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus back in, in the Gospel, John chapter 3, when Jesus told Nicodemus, who was already a grown-up, that he needed to be born again. That he was as good as dead and he needed the kiss of life from Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that later in, in chapter 6 that his very words were that kiss of life. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And Jesus told John in, in chapter 5 that the Son gives life to whom he will. And he says, an hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And John was there when Jesus' voice called a very dead Lazarus back to life. David Jackman, in his commentary on 1 John, says, he says, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, John eleven forty three, And he says, on the face of it, nothing could be more foolish. How could a dead man hear even the loudest voice? But then how could a spiritually dead person respond to the gospel command to repent and believe? He says, it is the life-giving word which raises the spiritually dead. And the first evidence of that having happened is that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so John reassures his readers that if they trust in Jesus, it can only be because they are already a child of God. The second proof is love. If you trust in Jesus, you're born of God. And if you're born of God, you will love God and you will love his children. 
John says, everyone who loves a father loves his child as well. And not only will we love others, but also others will love us. Because John, John is very big on, on the believing community as a family. And this family is characterized by love. And so as the Holy Spirit abides in us, he he's transforming us into the children that will one day be perfectly loving, just like Jesus and just like the Father. And so back in uh, 1 John 3, 2, he said, Beloved, we are God's children now. And we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. God, uh, John says that God is love. And that raises the question, well, what does God's love look like? Now, we've already seen a bit of that. Uh, but, but it's good to, to keep in mind, it's easy for us to come unstuck because we're immersed in a culture that, that sees love as something more like an affection, uh, a desire, or, or even an intense romantic or even sexual attraction for someone. But what does John mean by love? Well, specifically last week, we saw a lot about that. And we saw that God's love is actually more like an attitude of profound concern and care for for the other person, for another person, that results in an active commitment to, to doing things for their good. And so we love God by caring for his glory, and we love God by caring for what he has made, and, and especially for his children. And so as far as we are able, loving is using our lives and our possessions to give life and help to others. And that's basically what John says in the next few verses, in verses 2 to 3. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And so we get to the third proof, to obey, to keep his commands. So, so when we trust Jesus, we love God and his children, by obeying his commands. Uh, what are his commands? Well, I'm pretty sure most of you would remember that Jesus famously summed them up with the, the words, love God and love your neighbor. So God's commands, we normally call them the law, they're the Torah instruction, basically reveal to us who God is and what he is like. And they point to Jesus because Jesus shows us who God is and what he is like. And so these commands are generally a sort of codified expression of what it looks like to live out God's character. They're a guide to holy and loving living. And in Deuteronomy 4, Moses says to the people of Israel, when he gives them these commands, he says, this will be your wisdom in the sight of the nation. So, so living out God's character is also evangelistic. It's meant to show the world what God is like through us. And so if we love God, we'll want to image him by living out his love. We want to be like him. And yet in verse 3, John, John says something a little surprising. He says his commands are not burdensome. Now, you might be going, hang on a tick, often feels burdensome to me. It's, it's not easy. So what does John mean by this? Well, what he means is, is basically they're not designed to be cruel or heavy. That's, that's what the original Greek word means here. And, and why? Because our salvation is not riding on it. Remember, the one who trusts in Jesus and loves God carries out his commands. This one is already born of God. 
So his commands are not burdensome because doing them doesn't gain us anything that we don't already have. Being a child of God doesn't depend on doing stuff for him. It doesn't depend on our ability to keep his commands. Now, as well, David, David Jackman says these commands shouldn't be a burden because they're what we're designed to do. So he says his commands are no more burdensome than wings are to a bird. They are the means by which we live in freedom and fulfillment as God intended us to do. And counsellor uh, Ed Welch says, although it might not be easy to follow God's commands, when we do it, it should feel right. It should feel good because we're designed to do that. So John's saying keep, keeping his commands doesn't somehow rescue us from the world and, and from eternal death. Rather, having already been rescued, keeping his commands shows the world that we are now not of the world, but of God. And they show the world what true, victorious life really looks like. And it might not be flashy. It might look quite ordinary, but it is different. And it is a powerful testimony of what God is like, full of grace and truth and love. And so trust, love and obedience are signs of God's victory over the world because it shows that we are freed from its power. And so, verses 4 to 5, he goes on to say, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is, who is it that overcomes this world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, as we experience trust and love and obedience, even imperfectly, we can be sure that we are living the victorious life. It might look ordinary but it's not. It might not look flashy to the world, but to God, it looks glorious. Now, trusting in Jesus raises a question, it's all very well to trust in him, but how can I be sure that he is trustworthy? So in the next verses, in the next section, John presents three objective proofs, which he says we have seen, we have testified to. And in the center of this passage, verses 9 to 10, John reminds his readers of the objective basis of their faith. He says, basically, I was there when God proved these things. So he says, we accept human testimony, like mine, like John's. But God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. And whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. So John says, if you don't want to believe me, you're basically saying that God himself is a liar, because I am just passing on to you what God proved to me. And so what did John see? Well, he gives us three objective proofs that we can trust. He says in verse 6 and 7, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. Let me just say, 
this is not an easy passage to understand. What, what does John actually mean when he's referring to spirit, water, and blood here? One of the commentators, Alan Culpepper, says, the problem here is our inability to determine the precise nuances water and blood would have had for Johannine Christians. Now, there are heaps of different interpretations, but all agree it's pretty much impossible to come to any conclusion without going elsewhere in the New Testament, firstly to John's Gospel, and sometimes even further afield. Now, as usual, the immediate context helps us because, because John says that these things are testifying. So verses 11 12, he says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And so whatever he means by them, somehow these three things testify to the fact that God has given us eternal life in his Son. Now, I'm assuming that John who wrote the letter is the same John who wrote the Gospel. Um, and I think we have good reason to believe that. Uh, and so my inclination is to see them pointing to the key moment, moment in Jesus' life, uh, in, in John's Gospel, when, when Jesus first appears on the scene. And so in verses uh, chapter 1, 29 to 34, John has just explained in the, in the prologue about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And we leap straight into the ministry of John the Baptist. There's a lots of Johns here. John the Baptist, who is the first witness testifying to the coming of the Son of God. And so in verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, Jesus comes into his life-giving ministry uh, that John the Apostle, Apostle then describes in the rest of his gospel, which culminates in his death, resurrection, and giving of the Spirit in chapters 19 and 20. And so John the Baptist sees Jesus coming in verse 29, and he calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John the Apostle, in his gospel, then weaves this theme throughout his gospel, climaxing in Jesus' sacrificial death as the Passover Lamb, whose blood purifies us from all sin. And in the same time, John the Baptist says that he himself came baptizing with water as a, as a precursor, as a symbol of Jesus' power to baptize with the Holy Spirit, who will produce in believers uh, not just a life-cleansing wash, but a river of living water, of living spiritual water that will flow out to the whole world. And John the Baptist says that he saw as a, as a testimony the Spirit of God descending from heaven, anointing Jesus as the Christ with God's power to complete this mission. And so John the Baptist concludes, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And then John the Apostle, uh, in chapters 19 and 20 of his Gospel, uh, comes back to the blood and water and, and specifically mentions the evidence of the blood and water that flows from Jesus' side after he gives up his spirit. And the blood and water prove that Jesus really died. And so his resurrection shows him to be the victorious death conqueror who is better than any Marvel superhero. He is the immortal, eternal Son of God who gives true and eternal life to anyone who is willing to trust him. And so John, in this letter, says, the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. 
Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So these three objective proofs confirm that Jesus is the Son of God who can give eternal life because he has conquered death and has life to give. So John's saying in this this passage, if you believe, you are a child of God. If you're loving others, you're already like your father and your brother. If you keep his commands, you've been rescued from the world's rebellious grasp. And, and chapter 1 makes obvious that, that John doesn't expect us to be perfect. He, he writes these things to bring us joy by reminding us that it is Jesus' perfection that has already saved us if we trust in him. So my prayer for you today is that you can look at your faith, you can look at your love, you can look at your obedience, and you can see Jesus' victory and know that you have eternal life in a world that is deeply dark and is dying. John says, plodding through COVID-19 is actually victorious. As as we keep coming to church and reminding each other of who Jesus is, loving our neighbors by giving up our right to sing, by wearing a mask even if we don't want to, we are living the victorious Christian life. Learning to have, have hard conversations in a loving way is the victorious Christian life. Going to work and using your income to bless your family and those around you is the victorious Christian life. Sharing the way the Lord has been convicting and comforting you through his word in order to encourage others is the victorious Christian life. Now, if you're not someone who trusts in Jesus, you might well be thinking, well, I'm a bit stuck here because you've just told me that that I can only believe if God has already given me faith. Yes. But John's answer is, look at the testimony. Ask God to open your eyes to the truth. John saw Jesus open a blind man's eyes before the blind man could even ask to see. So he can easily do the same for you. That's why he came at Christmas. Bring light and life to the darkness of a dead and dying world. John says, trust in Jesus. Love God and love your neighbor. Obey his commands. That's the victorious Christian life, even if sometimes it looks very well. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.